0: Episode five hundred ninety three. My name is Paul Garcia, and I'm your host here on the Spurs Cast. Today, I'll be joined by Project Spurs writer Colin Reed. In this episode, Colin and I will discuss some observation from the Spurs' last five games of the season and shine the spotlight on a few players. Let's go ahead and begin. Colin, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing well myself Uh, you know it's been quite a while Uh, even though it it was technically last week that I recorded with Steven Anderson a week ago the the Spurs the season had just kicked off the Spurs had only played three games that we discussed now since then uh, and because you and I are recording this on a Friday uh, there have been been multiple games that have taken place uh, so we're going to go and dive right into how the Spurs have performed so they went two and three since I last recorded with Steven uh, in the last five games uh, and overall they are four and four so they are 500 teams eight games through the season again it's a very small sample size just eight games so well, here's what's happened since uh, we last recorded last wednesday the spurs lost at home to the lakers by 14 points that one was over pretty early you know the lakers had a pretty comfortable lead there the um, wesley matthews got hot from three i think he made like six threes in that game uh then on the uh, two days later on on the on the next friday um the Spurs played a very close game with the Lakers, where they actually almost won. It was very close that one, and they lost by six. We saw Derek White come into that game, but then he ended up getting hurt, which we're going to address the new injury for Derek White in a little bit. Uh, then on Sunday, the Spurs had their first, you know, really blowout of the season, where it was pretty much over. The Jazz came into town; they they beat the Spurs by twenty-one, but I mean, they led by almost thirty. I think they led by thirty points at one point in that game. But it was just, you know, it was over. The the Jazz just. I think they put sixty-three points from three on the scoreboard. So and you know, Boyan Bogdanovich had multiple threes. Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, uh, Royce. You know just, you know, every jazz player pretty much made a three almost, it looked like, in that one. So that one was over early. But then... You know, again, we don't want to talk too much about recency, uh, you know, l- looking too much at, at what's going on, but I mean, the Spurs have played well in their last two games coming into this recording. On Tuesday, they got a really good win against the Clippers, who were without Paul George, uh, by three points. They, so again, they beat the Clippers by three. Spurs had a pretty good lead. They, they they had boosted that lead up by double digits, but then the Clippers did make a comeback and actually lead by one, At that, but, but the Spurs were able to close it out. You know, they avoided a Kawhi Leonard game winner uh, to, to send the game into overtime or, or to even win the game. Uh, then on Thursday, uh, the Spurs just got a a a, a win against the Lakers where it was pretty close throughout, but the Spurs um, ended up, you know, winning by, by, oh no, the Spurs got, I think like a 15 point lead at one point against the Lakers, but then the Lakers did kind of chip in, chip back in, but then uh, they did tie it in the third quarter, but the Spurs held on and they won pretty comfortable by, by nine, uh, where like within the last minute or two, you pretty much knew it was over. So, so again, you know, two big wins, the fact that they beat the Clippers Lakers and, you know, going back to when they first started the season, three of their first four wins have been against the Raptors. Clippers and Lakers. These are teams that were in the playoff picture last year and who we do expect to be in the playoff picture this year. So uh, let's first begin. What is, what is your take on the on these last five games and just overall 4-4 four and four to begin the year?
1: Yeah, so looking at these five games, um, it reminds me a little bit of how this, even though... Their record is maybe similar to where it was at this time last year. Um, it was probably 3-5 and five after eight games last year because they won their first three games and then lost, I think, like 10 in a row after that. Um, but their first three games last season uh, were wins against, like, bad teams, but they weren't very convincing wins. It was, like, a win against the Knicks on opening night, a win against the Wizards, um... And, like, there were were games that they were expected to win, and they weren't even winning them very convincingly. Uh, And the games that they've won this year have been different in that regard, or this season, rather, have been different in that regard. Uh, They beat the Grizzlies, who are, you know, maybe not, like, the best team, but they'll be fighting for a play-in spot, Mm -hmm. uh, surely. And that was when John Morant was there. They beat the Raptors, like you said, who who aren't having a great season so far, but um, we expect to bounce back and to be in the playoff mix in the East. Mm-hmm. and then against the Clippers and the Lakers. So really, when you look at these five games that they played, there it was a very tough sledding. If they would have come out of it two and seven, I don't think that would have surprised anyone. And so the fact that they were able to steal two wins uh, over the past uh, five games, and they have games coming up against the Timberwolves, and I think they have one against OKC, um, I think in terms of them being in spot a spot to make the play-in or the playoffs, they need to win. You know, even two out of five against really good teams is is really important for them to be in position to win like you said uh, some of it was hot shooting and it'll be interesting to see how it regresses but some of it has been on the back of their transition to offense which has been actually pretty awesome this season so mm-hmm. the the like you said the the Lakers game that they lost by 14 was a pretty handedly lost game but I, I think just kind of watching it the jazz game was really the only game they looked super overmatched. They don't really have an Anthony Davis answer, which is, I think, why they, they lost the two games and then almost lost uh, last night before pulling away. Um, but other than that, I think the Jazz were like the only game of the season that they've just looked completely outmatched. So out of eight games for this team that, that we thought might might be a lottery team, I, I think that this is pretty a pretty successful season so far
0: yeah and it's weird how it just like just for, for me um from an observation standpoint when you look at a record it looks so bad when it looks like two and four especially coming off that wolf that, that jazz game you know they were two and four at the time and it just like for me it just looked like wow these, this is a lottery team again and then all of a sudden when, when when they won that game against the clippers you look at three and four you're like huh that's actually not too bad and then now, of course now it's four and four so uh i was you actually made the point that i was about to bring up secondly was like you could really look at all these games and you could say that you know they, they really have had a chance in pretty much every single one except maybe that first lakers lost, like I mentioned, they lost by 14, and then also the Jazz game. I am mean, really, they've been competitive in all those games. They almost beat New Orleans, they almost, uh, you know, uh, uh, beat the Lakers in that second time, uh, that second game, and so, you know, uh, on the flip side, you could say that maybe the Lakers come back, maybe the Clippers come back, so again, this shows that this is a, uh, what I would say is this is a very competitive team, you know, they're, they're not showing that they're getting overmatched, except for those two games like we mentioned against the Lakers and Jazz, so I really think that, yeah, like, like especially the, the wins, who they are against are really big as well, going forward, and then, and then of course, now, here comes a big test for them, is, uh, you know, how do they Perform against teams that are struggling early out the gate. So, like somebody like Minnesota, who they're going to play twice this weekend. Uh, they're two and six to begin the year, I believe. So, like, how, how do they do? They do what they did last year, where they had losses to like Chicago and all these really bad teams. Or do they actually take care of business this year and really stay focused in, the, in these games where they should win? Because I, I know that they've been an underdog in every game so far this year. But I think we're going to start seeing some games now against these these um, these, these um, teams who are, who are below them in terms of record uh, and see that the Spurs are the favorites in these. So let's see how. Let's that's, that's a good that's a good test now to see in these next few weeks is how, how do they. Make matchup with not the best teams but some you know some of the teams that are that are are struggling to out the the gate our next
1: uh, um, go ahead oh sorry i was was gonna say the other thing about that is um last last season when they were like i said pretty similar record after eight games i'm pretty sure it was three and five versus four and four here i think a big difference and this is something that like you and i who like look at the games analytically and we're like trying to figure out like statistical trends and like the the x's and o's on the court We don't talk about this very often, but I think it is important. And even as people who are less fans and more like analysts of the game, like this team is just more fun to watch. Like it's more fun to watch this 4-4 and team than it was to watch last season's team. And like as much as I think that they have been very good players for the Spurs and they've been like good locker room guys when it would have been easy not to be, there are situations and offensive systems that uh, LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan can be maybe not as fun to watch where it's isolation for 20 seconds and then a mid-range jumper. But in this system, they're actually fun to watch and the young guys are fun to watch. So it's one of those things where like, if they end up being like kind of a competitive lower seed playoff team, or even if they end up being a lottery team, one huge improvement this season is that they're just so much more fun to watch in terms of the system they have. So even though that's something that we don't usually look into quite as much, it is definitely a, a big improvement over last season, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and actually going. I just pulled up the record from last. They were actually five and three. I don't even remember that. They oh were five wow! And three, yeah, <laughs> they were five and three through eight games last year, and then they hit a huge losing streak. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> and then they hit an eight-game losing streak after go, after going Jeez. five and three. Yeah. So uh, like like we said, I just think that I think what you just said there too. They're a lot more fun because again, you don't know who's going to be the leading scorer each night. You don't know who's going to be the player that's going to you know one day it's Kelton Johnson, one day it's Patty Mills, one day it's Lonnie Walker, one day it's DeJounte, one day it's Lamarcus. You know, just it. That's what makes it really funny. And it does remind me you know just so those those teams were like you know you know they're, they're always going to have their, their three guys who are going to be the main players in usage but but again this team's having a lot more players who can kind of take over or not take over but, you know just just really uh be more productive and so that's the cool thing about watching this team it's just a lot more fun too especially with like their assist percentage which we've discussed in this podcast so there is some bad news though in terms of for the team uh, in the in the injury department um derrick white unfortunately does have to continue to stay out on the bench uh, you know on the injury list uh so what happened was in the in the game friday when he played against the lakers his own game of playing this year. He actually stubbed his toe. Uh, you know, co- uh, the team told us the next day, um, and so so then after getting some analysis on that you know a new evaluation, his his doctor says that yes, it's a new non-displaced fracture of the proximal fa- phalanx. Of his second left toe. So it's like the toe that he, that's the foot that he injured and he, he rehabbed from, it, just got back from, he basically injured that same toe, uh, again. Now, one good thing, um, I, I mean, uh, we could say is that Shamsharani from The Athletic reported that, you know, the team, he called it, Shams, you know, this is just Shams' words, but he called it a minor fracture injury, uh, and he says that the Derek's return will be based on response to rehab. That's all he's reported so far. Of course, the Spurs didn't put out a timeline. He's just listed as out game to game. Uh, but I think that from, from what I'm taking away from Shams's, um, you know, Tweet is that maybe that as soon as Derek you know rehabs uh you know uh you know I don't know how long that's gonna take and then as soon as that's over he's and it basically I think even if he can kind of play through some pain if they're gonna let him or if, if he wants to maybe it's not 100 uh, healed what what do you think about this news with Derek?
1: Yeah, it's difficult because so and I think in a lot of people's minds and it's kind of been an easy shorthand uh, for me as well. You have like the young core of like these these drafted players since DeJounte Murray on and then kind of like the established veterans and in terms of just like development and like on-court production uh, Derek White might have been the most successful of the young core and and even in the bubble um, he might have been the best of of all the Spurs and so I, I know that like with the way that the offensive system is set up, it's really kind of set up to let Demar Derozan shine and then LaMarcus Aldridge have his moment when he's hot, like he was last night. Um, but but he really is a very key piece to this team, which I think kind of goes back to how it is incredible that they're four and four despite missing, I mean, their second or third best player, maybe honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when they when they There'll be some interesting rotational things when, when he does come back yes. in terms mm-hmm. of what the lineups will look like. Um, but he he is one of their best players. And, and I think, you know, obviously, when you're out for the amount of time that he's going to have to be and the amount of time he was even before this, there's going to be a certain amount of time where you're kind of playing back into game shape and kind of getting used to the speed of the game and, and kind of just re-getting used to NBA basketball. But I think once he kind of gets back into it in that regard he brings a lot to the spurs and and it it kind of just goes to to show that their record right now is incredible that they're without Derek White but it will I think make it difficult in some of these games against teams that quote-unquote they should win where they are missing one of their best players you know if they have this random unexpected loss that might just be the hole that Derek White would have filled if he were on this team
0: yeah, for sure. And so, like you know, one thing that you know, I was really you know, ex- especially when he came back that first night, I was ready to you know, because the Spurs didn't initially say that he was hurt. Uh, he he looked it looked like he was fine because he even did post game interviews with us, and we thought he was fine. It was until the next game that we got an injury report that said that he was out. And then we all were just wondering, oh, is that just precautionary? Are they just bringing him back slowly because Pop did say he would be on a minutes restriction. But then Pop was you know discouraged and saying you know it is a brand new injury, yada yada. So like yeah, so it was unfortunate to hear that that he did get get a basically a brand new injury. And one thing he's going to bring to this team that when he ever do, whenever he does get healthy. It's like, and this is why you know that first game. Looking at the data, I was like, "Wow, here we go!" They're about to add a new wrinkle. Was the fact that he's another driver? He's a player who can who can join Lonnie, Keldon, Demar. Um, you know, from 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 bursting through the defense from the outside. He's also a player who you know, except aside from Keldon and Demar, they really don't have a player who gets to the, to the free throw line consistently anymore. And so Derek will be that third guy who can help them in that department. And then of course we know he's a good wing defender. And so you know, early on that the stats aren't looking too good for them in certain areas of defense. Uh, they're nineteenth right now as you and I are speaking in defensive rating. And so Derek, we just know, you know, just what he brings in the defensive end, he's going to he's gonna add to that. So, so we do know that they're not going to, you know, we want to see what their ceiling can be, how good they can be defensively with all these young wings. And, and Pop was actually throwing some really interesting lineups just out in that first game of, against the Lakers where he had like stuff, like he had like some, some interesting lineups with Derek flanked by like Murray and, and Lonnie and Keldon or Devin, you know, oh no, Devin didn't play in that game. But you know, they, Pop can be a little bit more experimental as well in terms of the defensive versatility he wants to throw out there when, when Derek's uh, healthy. So again, we are, we are just waiting for Derek to get healthy and whenever that comes. And right now it looks like the Spurs are Keeping him keeping him out uh, just for a game- to- game basis they're not they haven't put an official timeline uh, injury timeline now one player because Derek it did get hurt and um, you know unfortunately there is a, 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 some 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 um, a chance for another player to step up and that's Devin vassell we did see that in that one game where where Derek was out vassell got a DNP his first one of the year but aside from that now that Derek's hurt again well then now Devin's getting all those wing minutes off the bench so this is a very rare chance for a rookie to be getting you know 16 minutes a game is what he's getting right now and he's and he's looked really good from from what I I've seen again. When you really want to watch Devin, you don't want to look at his base stats because they're no. When you really want to watch Devin, you don't want to look at his base stats because they're no. They don't sound at that impressive. You don't want fouls, but you really want when you watch a game with the Spurs, watch Devin off the ball. He is so active. Whether he's helping out on defense, whether he's just sticking his hands in there, um, you know, saving um uh, attempts where where a player's about to get a layup or or, or cutting off a pass. Uh, he's gotten a few blocks as well early on in the season. So so I've been really impressed with him, and especially also on offense in terms of his shot. So let's let's talk about some of his, uh, just how he's played so far. Um. So I mentioned his base stats there. Uh, his shot profile: 37% of his shots come in the paint. A lot of those are off like steals, and then just finishing um, at the rim or, or making some cuts. Uh, 13% of his shots from mid-range. Uh, he doesn't shoot too many of those. And then, but here's the big one: half of his shots are coming from three. So he's just showing to be a three-and-D uh, type of player. Uh, his three—it's it's early in the season. Again, this is a very small sample size, only 15 attempts, but he is making 53% of those attempts. His three-point shot right now. Uh, here's what's actually really interesting, Colin: is that he, only 33% of his attempts from three have been wide open. He does take a lot of threes when they're semi-contested or you know there is a defense defender pretty close to to him. And then like I mentioned with his on and off ball activity on defense, uh he's second on the team in deflections per minute, he's first in steals per minute, he's second in blocks per minute among players who play the most in the most games for the Spurs. So what have you thought about uh Devin's early early um you know play so far in in these uh, first seven games for him?
1: Yeah, I think um you know you talked about his stat line maybe not being the most impressive part of his game you have to kind of watch the tape to see it but i think mm-hmm. one of the really impressive stance here is the minutes played you know almost 16 minutes like if you look at uh kind of what i'd affectionately call spurs university they draft players yeah they send them to austin for about a year and then maybe at the end of that first season or that second season then they kind of get time in the rotation and the fact that Vassell has had a spot in the rotation from day one. I know that Derek White has been injured and that's probably helped with that, but even, even in the past, that wasn't something that would happen even when there were injuries. And maybe that might be shifting to the youth movement or, or whatever. But obviously the Spurs think very highly of him if they draft him and he becomes a rotational player right away. That's generally hasn't been the way that uh, rookies have have been in the Spurs system other than like some very notable examples like your Kawhi Leonard etc so um you know I think like everything you're saying the on and off ball activity on offense and defense you can tell he's just like a very like they talk about basketball IQ which is something that's Mm -hmm. hard to measure and even hard to see but like you can tell he has it in spades he just he just knows where to be like he knows how to move off the ball he knows like the right moves to make on defense which as a rookie is incredibly uh it good you know i mean like it's something that's only going to continue to develop as he gets used to the nba game and especially being in a system that really values that type of thinking so just the fact that he's showing this now i think you know the the whole thing of him being like a three and d player who also can can get to the rim and score there uh, i think that's you know, an expected outcome now, and, and he might even develop into to something that's a little bit stronger than that just because this is what he's showing so early, I think is really good signs for him
0: yeah for sure and so like for me like the thing that sticks out is one like the eye test you just watch him like i said off the ball he's he's really he's not now you know he doesn't have that he doesn't get the best you know the, the biggest matchups on defense you know he did, pop hasn't been putting him on like on the Braun or Kawhi or anybody like that you know that's still for Keldon and lonnie and those kind of players but so he's still playing like you know against second you know the, the second team players most of the time but again it's just more of his activity off the ball his help defense is what i've really been impressed with uh, and, and like i said when I, when I when i compare him to the rest of the roster and, and really adjust it for minutes per game because he doesn't play as many as you know some of the core players well when when you just look at a permanent basis he's actually his defensive stats are popping off the chart from what i can see uh, and that's why i really wanted to talk about him and just you know again we don't know where he would where, where he would be if Derek wasn't injured uh you know and i really think that is going to be an issue once Derek comes back is you know who's going to have to take some minutes have to take a take a vaccine and so right now in that first game it did look like Devin, but you know maybe pop wants to give him some minutes at the four when Derek gets back if, if there's some minutes there because we've seen him you know uh, uh adjust uh, at, at times there Another player I want to speak about, uh, talk to you about, Colin is uh, is Patty Mills. I know the last week uh, Stephen and I uh, discussed it in length about Demar Derozan, uh, Dejounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker. So we covered a number of players last week, but I didn't discuss Patty, and he was really off to a good start. And, and so he's kind of kept that going. Uh, let's, let's just talk about his early season. We know that coming into training camp, he was saying how he wants to be a lot of, a lot more aggressive on offense. Uh, you know, John Diaz a few weeks ago mentioned to me, you know, he is in a contract year as well, so you know that's another part of this. Uh, and so his base stats are starting off the year: thirteen point nine points per game through. Games, 24 and a half minutes, 1.8 rebounds, 3.3 assists, and 0.8 turnovers. His shot profile 20, 25% of his shots are coming in the paint, 16% of his shots from mid range, 59% of his shots are coming from three. here's He's just been lights out right now from three, um, three point accuracy. 56% on 43 attempts. So, unlike Devin, where we're saying 15 attempts, Patty's got a pretty good, you know, he's starting to get a good sample size of what he's doing. 56% on 43 attempts. Uh, here's, here's what's really interesting he's, he's increased his pull up threes. 42% of his shots are coming. From pull up three. I think last year was like 34, 33%. And he's actually knocking down those at a 61% accuracy rate on his 18 pull-up and three attempts. And defenses, of course, do not want to leave Patty Mills open. We see this. Only 40% of his threes are wide open. And when he gets those wide open attempts, whew, he's drilling them. 59% accuracy on his 17 wide open three attempts. So what have you thought about Patty's play um off the bench here? Especially after what we do want to note that he had a career-high eight made threes against the Clippers Tuesday. And he scored, uh, I think it was was 20, 24, 20, 27 points.
1: Yeah, I think um, this kind of goes back to before the season for me, which, you know, Patty is, like, very typical uh, spur, like, very humble, very understated. He's not going to, like, sell himself very high. And so, like, when he came in and and on Twitter and, and in interviews and stuff was talking about, like, oh, FIBA Patty is coming, that was really interesting. And it was, like, okay, like, like he, he knows that he's going to be, like, gunning this season. <laughs> and um, obviously it's been very successful. Like you said, the 43 attempts – is um, a good enough sample size to believe that this is real in terms of the shooting? I don't know if it's going to stay at fifty six percent all season, yeah. but mm-hmm. you know there are players who have shot in the high forties and uh, around fifty percent for a season on high number of attempts, and I think that might be something that we're looking at here. You know, for me, I always feel like when a player's pull up three point percentage is higher than they just overall percentage that's a little bit fluky but there have been situations where players have been able to like maintain that for a whole season and if if he's able to like keep his pull-up three accuracy that high then really like that adds another uh wrinkle to the spurs offense in terms of he's creating his own shot you know he's not needing someone else yep. to drive to the basket and, and he's moving around screens and stuff like he is uh Creating that shot for himself, which makes uh, everything easier for everyone else off ball. Um, so really, it's it is quite incredible just the percentage that he's shooting right now. He really is just gunning, and in some games, kind of like uh in that game in the last game against the Lakers when Aldridge got hot, in that game against the Clippers, you know when Patty's hot, they just kept feeding him, and that that mm-hmm. obviously was very successful. So it's kind of like what you were saying, where this this Spurs team has. Um, a lot of weapons and any one player can get hot on any given night and they can just kind of feed him. And I think that's going to be Patty a handful of times this season was just how well he's shooting.
0: Yeah, and one thing uh you know that I wanted to mention that you kind of brought up there was the pull up three. The fact that forty two percent of his attempts are coming off pull up threes, and that's important because a lot of defenses, you know, you know, just naturally they want to play their biggest, want to drop. So whenever the Spurs run a high pick and roll up top, Patty gets some room there, and he's and he's like, like he's letting it fly, and it's it's going in, and that's a huge that's a huge addition because that's something where you know in games where teams really scout you, they're going to try to take away your spot up threes and your catch and shoot threes because they know that's what you want to do. Uh, but you know if if you can do that pull up three, that's just an added weapon to, to your arsenal. And so that, again, that's where He's been, let's see how, how high of that, that number he maintains. I don't think, like you mentioned, he won't shoot 61% for the year. But in terms of the percentage of those threes, I do want to see if he continues to, to keep that higher than, than what he finished with, um, last year. Cause I, I remember that Derek White was like the number one, the number one player in terms of percentage of his threes that were pull up threes. So now when Derek gets healthy, well, then guess what? You have two players now who are very comfortable shooting off the pull up three. And that's Patty and that would be Derek as well. So that, so that's again, an interesting wrinkle for this team, uh, going forward. Um, let's just look at some, again, I don't want to go too, too far into trends and observations because, again, it is eight games. You know, I know, I know Steven and I spent a lot of that time last week. And so some of those things still stood, you know, within the next five games, but some of those things did fall where the Spurs, you know, jumped a few places in the rankings. But some some things, some early observations I do want to note in terms of their success, how how the Spurs have been is, is, is the three point shooting up for themselves and then also their opponents. So uh, let's first talk about the Spurs on offense in terms of three point shooting. Again, it is a small sample size, eight games. They're still, you know, they're 26 in attempts, 30.9 per game. They're third in accuracy, 40.5%. Again, it's an eight-game sample size, so you don't want to put too, too much into that because it's you've seen some nights where the Spurs really struggle from three and then nights when they're really hot. And so what happens when they get hot? When they shoot 40% or better from three right now, they're four and one. So a lot of their wins, uh, you know, so far this year has been when they're when they're hot from three. Uh, and we just saw some, hist- like, not historic, but yeah, I mean, some some pretty shattering um, for, for the Spurs in terms of volume of threes. They made 63, I am mean, not Sixty. Uh, they made. They got sixty points from the three point line against the uh, the Clippers on Tuesday, and then they backed that up with forty eight points from three uh, against the Lakers. And so again, in the last two games, they got really hot, and they made they made a number of threes. Uh, so what have you thought about their three? And, and again, some some players are shooting very well. Padding we mentioned, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson's shooting well, even Demar DeRozan, even though he doesn't take a lot. So there are players who, who normally have, have kind of surprised us in terms of how they're shooting so far of the year. Against a small sample size, what do you, what have you thought about their three point shooting on offense?
1: Yeah, it's it's been obviously an emphasis for them i think that um you know it's funny that they've they've gotten to 30.9 in attempts per game and that's still 26th uh because i think you know even a couple i don't have the numbers in front of me but i'd imagine a couple years ago that would be uh or maybe five or so seasons ago that would be top five in the league or something like that it's just that it's growing at such a uh fast rate in terms of attempts uh per game for the whole nba but you know Obviously, if they can convert them at this kind of clip, um, which is, this has honestly been a formula for the Spurs when it comes to three-point shooting in the past, which is don't you know quote-unquote don't take a lot of attempts. Even though 30 is still actually a good number per game, it's just low compared to the rest of the NBA. But like, just make sure that those attempts are good attempts, and that's kind of mm-hmm. um, what it's what has been so far. Like you said, it's hard to focus on trends this early in the season, but some of it has been like looked real for instance like patty um some of it has been kind of like a wait and see like some of the games where de rosen has hit three of four that kind of stuff is is not something that's like existed over a whole season before but if that is something where he is a catch and shoot threat of even just two or three a game um all of a sudden that opens up the 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 like paint for a lot of the younger guys who are trying to drive to the rim and such so, yeah it- oh go ahead go ahead. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just one of those things. That it really adds a lot to the team. It's, it's hard to know <laughs> uh, without digging in more to the film. It's kind of like a chicken or the egg thing where this team has become so um, big on pushing and attacking the rim. And has that made it easier for them to hit threes? Or is it the fact that their shooters are hitting threes at a good rate, that it's easier for, for players to attack the rim? You know, But however that works, it definitely is a an offensive system that is successful. But like you said, there are some nights where it's not falling. I know against the Jazz, I think I think they made like six or nine. Yeah, they or only made six. Yeah. They hit Yeah. Just 18 yeah. Points. And that, I mean, just, I, I don't know how you win an NBA game in 2021 when you make six three pointers. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's obviously been a good trend so far. But like you said, it's one more game and they could fall back to, you know, I mean, like 10th in accuracy or something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, and so like that's a, that's a good point. The, the the one that you brought about the Jazz is that you know when they have those bad nights, they don't have a lot to to help them supply because they they uh, you know they they do attack the rim a lot. Uh, they're ninth, I think, in, in restricted area attempts, but they don't finish well there. They don't get to the free throw line, you know, at a at a high percentage, and then of course they they they, they still take a, a good chunk of mid rangers So like mathematically, it comes it becomes tough if they're not making these three. So that again, that's something to watch. Let's talk about their their defense though. On on the flip side, with their three point defense, because there is some issues there as well. This is what leads a lot of their losses is. is that opponents, they're, they're doing a good job in terms of not letting teams shoot the three. They're, they're seventh in terms of keeping t- teams down from shooting threes at 32.1 for opponents per game. Uh, however, teams shoot very well so far in these eight games. They're, they're, the Spurs are dead last in accuracy for opponents teams are making the exact same amount that the Spurs make 40.5% exactly that our opponents are making. So it makes the Spurs 30th in accuracy. Uh, one, one thing we've noticed, you know, when, when teams opponents shoot 40% or better from three, well then guess what? At least to, to losses for the Spurs the Spurs are one in three when their opponents shoot 40% or better. Um, 58% of the opponents threes are wide open and opponents shoot about 42% of those wide open threes. Uh, some other notable areas on defense. So why are they, um, you know, ha- ha- since the Spurs are holding teams to, a uh, 32 threes a game. They're seventh. Well, then, what's going on in the, on, in the other areas of the, of the floor? The Spurs are twenty-seventh in opponent paint attempts. So teams are still attacking them at the rim a lot. Uh, they're they're doing they're getting better at making teams take the shots in the non-restricted area and the mid-range. They're thirteenth in both of those categories. And, and you know, for me visually, that just that just shows you know bat- dropping shows LaMarcus Aldridge dropping. They're they're willing to give the teams those mid-rangers. They're trying to get them to take those. And so if they take them, they, they're, I think the Spurs are happy and they live with that. And that's why uh, you know that that that's why um, you know you do see that. The Spurs are doing a good job of not putting, letting teams take a lot of threes against them. And then also their fifth and opponent free throw rate, where, where except for that New Orleans game, they've done a pretty good job of not putting the opponent on the free throw line uh, so far. So what have you thought about, you know, I did write earlier, you know, about a week ago when the Jazz got hot from three. I did some some film investigation. I just saw that, you know, there was some trends in those games when the, when teams got hot. It was like it was like multiple things where like it was transition threes a lot of the times. The Spurs were horrible in, in communication, where players wouldn't talk to each other about who to guard. So you'd see somebody trailing or just pull up from three. Uh, a lot of it was driving kick action by by the offense where they got into the teeth of the defense, and the Spurs weren't doing a good job of help defense, uh, and so teams were getting wide open threes. A lot of it was just personal, um, you know, errors where like players completely were just watching the ball, and then they look back, and their are players wide open for a three. So it was like a multitude of things. But I really think that it comes down to if the team's hot or not. I mean, that's what it looks like in terms of some of these games where they've lost. It's like the Jazz just got really hot, the Lakers just got really hot, uh, etc. What have you thought about their three-point defense?
1: Yeah, I think you brought up a good point of in terms of how uh, opponents, Spurs opponents are getting... Good three-point looks. I think there was a sequence last night, and obviously this is only two possessions compared to eight games, but um, where Caruso got two fairly wide open threes and hit them both kind of back-to-back, and one of them was a transition look where he ran down the court and, and he just wasn't covered in the way that he should have been. Probably a miscommunication, like you said, and then the other one. I think it was more of a half court thing, but the ball swung to him from I think one of the corners, and there just wasn't anyone guarding him. So it was just a bad rotation. I, I didn't look into it to see kind of which players those were, but it was it was exactly like what you were saying, maybe light rotations, um, miscommunications, things where uh, I haven't I haven't really investigated to see how often this is happening, but it feels like something that we've seen a ton where. Uh, teams will get the ball into the post and then run actions and it'll result in very wide open three-point shooters against the Mm -hmm. spurs very often so it seems like off-ball action um is a foil for the spurs and it kind of has been for the past two or three seasons um and so i think off-ball defense is is definitely an area of improvement for this team and i think that i mean the biggest again like you said a lot of these things are hard to like know how real they are but 58 percent of opponents threes being wide open i think is just a big indicator that they there maybe isn't um as strong off-ball defense as there could be um looking at that opponent free throw rate uh kind of before we recorded the podcast i was looking at some of their statistical categories and seeing like okay so far again like you said it's hard to know trends because of how uh we're only eight games into the season but like what are they good at so far and opponent free throw rate and opponent Offensive rebounding rate—they're a lead-in, which is very typical Spurs like that. I would imagine to continue for most of the season because yeah. that is very, like, very much a Spurs defensive trait. Um, just like they have been the past couple years, their opponents' effective field goal percentage has been pretty high compared to the league. And even though it is early in the season, that has been a trend for them for the past two or three seasons. And honestly, it's just hard to have a good defense when teams shoot so well against you. Um, but the other thing they do very good at is transition offense. So, so that they're elite at those three things, and then everything else they're average or maybe a little bit behind, especially in terms of opponent shooting. But the three-point shooting, you know, when when they're when they've had hot games like the last two games, like you said, they they win. And when the opponents have hot games, they lose. Which sounds so simplistic, but I think we are in an era of variance where you see these, like. Uh, I think it was the Bucks versus the Knicks a couple weeks ago or a week ago or so. And the the Knicks just destroyed the Bucs, and the Bucs couldn't hit a three-pointer, and the Knicks were, were playing very well from three. And so it, it, it really has become and, – and that is something that's made – the NBA may be harder to analyze, is when it becomes so three-point heavy. Mm-hmm. Some games are just like, oh, well, they, they missed more threes than you would have expected, so they lost that game. Or, oh, they made more threes than you would have expected, so they won that game. And a lot more games are coming down to variance. But I think that there are problems with the Spurs' defense from three, and so it will lead to opponents being hotter from three more often than maybe um, you would normally expect. <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. And so, again, like we, I, I want to wait to about a good 15, 20 game sample size to really see how, how much a lot of this data is real and, and what's not. And I think what you mentioned, there are some trends in where the Spurs are typically good in. Uh, like we mentioned, fifth free throw rate, opponent, offensive rebound percentage uh, that, that should maintain and hold for, for the year. Uh, let's talk about one area, one of the that I've observed that has led to some success or, or failure for this team, and that's the transition defense. And it's something that Coach Pop talks about, it's something that the players talk about. So, right now, you know, on the year, like you mentioned, on offense, they are playing fast. They're a top 10 team in terms of pace, they're a top 10 team. In terms of scoring in the fast break, but on defense they are 27th in opponent fast break points. And one thing I've noted is that whenever they gave up 20 or more to a, to, a, to the opponent fast break points, they're 0 and 3. And so I noticed that you know in this game, this game where they won against the Clippers, they only held they only let the Clippers get eight points in transition. The game that they won against the Lakers, they only they kept the Lakers to eight points in transition. The second game against the Lakers when they were almost won, when they were very close, it was competitive throughout. It's because they only allowed the Lakers to have 12 points in transition. So I think that that's another big focus is that this. Team at times, when you, especially when they're getting blown out, like against the Lakers and Jazz in those two games, those two losses, they can, uh, you know, just, just, they're playing fast, yes, but they let, they don't, they, they lose their focus, their, their, their miscommunication on defense. And so the other teams get up and run with them and, and end up making them pay for it. And I have noticed that when the Spurs have a more concentrated effort, you know, I've talked to the players about this. I've asked DeMar DeRozan and I've asked, um, I think, Kelden Johnson or DeJounte Murray, you know, was that an emphasis for you on whenever they win these games when they hold the, the, the opponent below, um, you know, 20 points in transition? And he's like, yes, you know, that was our, our mindset was when to make sure we're focused on that and that's a big part of the old Spurs system is you know really do not let teams uh, get out and run on you and get a lot of e- easy points and so if they can do that i think that we're seeing that any game where, where they're holding the, the opponent below 20 in transition points uh then then they're going to have a chance here where they're going to keep it competitive and they can still play fast themselves on the other end
1: yeah and, and so so one of the things that's been a little bit frustrating for me is i remember hearing this story about um, kind of the first drill that the Spurs would always do in training camp. And I, I, have, I have not been able to find it in recent years. But I, I remember hearing or reading or seeing that, you know, every, every single year when the Spurs would come into training camp, especially during that dynastic period, the very first thing they would work on is transition defense drills. They would start from the very beginning. That was the cornerstone of the defense, was making sure that they had a solid transition defense. And I think that's probably still a pop philosophy. It's just a matter of getting the the system into several of these new players, or maybe some of the the players who have been there a while. Like, is is getting down the court and stopping a dribble, or, or picking up a cross match for uh, a three point shooter, so that they're not wide open in transition. Like, is that in their skill set currently? So, it's it's definitely an area. Again, you talk about The free throw rate and the offensive uh, opponent offensive rebounding rate um, being good trends for them recently, and I think transition uh, in the post Kawhi era transition defense has been something that's been difficult for them. Um, So it's it's one of those things that'll be interesting to see if that improves as the young players get more reps. But it's definitely one of those things where, despite them being so good in transition, if they give up, like you said, 20. Transition points are more. They're 0 and 3 right now, and it really is a recipe for disaster, especially if their three point shooting, opponent three point shooting continues to be as poor as it is.
0: Yeah, for sure, and that's why, like you know, you, you, we could just say, you know, it's going to be bad again, you know, if they were still bringing the same players that that they had, the majority of the same players that, that played last year. But now that you know, there is a chance that this gets better because like they have they have a lot more versatile defenders. They have Lonnie Walker getting big minutes. They have Dejounte Murray still. They have Kelvin Johnson getting big minutes. These are players who, who who didn't see as much time last year, and so that's why you know there there is a hope that they can that you know these younger, more versatile defenders can can uh, get, get better in that department. That'll really help them, and especially because again, like you know, you got to still have um, an advantage for playing fast there's no, if there's no there's no point in playing fast if you're not going to use your speed and your athleticism to your advantage if you're still giving up you know easy points on the other end so again when they've won these these games lately it has shown that that they've done a better job of of, of you know shutting down the teams from running on them as well so so we'll see you know again how, how much that can maintain and, and what these trends look like after like game 15 or 20 so thanks again um uh a, a few more things before we close out this episode colin um just make sure for project spurs fans you're that you're um and and Project Spurs listeners that you're uh that you're you're visiting the site. Uh we have uh recaps and, and an analysis by Steven Anderson each 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 day after the game serpent played. Uh Ben Ben Bornstein is, you know, I feel bad for him because he has he has to like navigate how, how this roller coaster of an early season. You know, it's at at one point it looks like they're they're a major lottery team, but then other times now it looks like they're pretty competitive. So his latest prospect watches on Evan Mobley uh from Benjamin Bornstein. And then Aaron Molian uh, wrote about Becky Hammond when she when she got she got to become the um you know the head coach for a game when Coach Pop got ejected recently against Lakers. He wrote, um, uh, "Spurs history outshines Lakers victories again." It's about Becky's um, opportunity there and how she set history. She made history that night. So make sure you check that Peace out. Uh, thanks to Colin again for joining me here on the Spurs Cast, and to Michael DeLeon for mixing and producing this episode. From all of us at Project Spurs, stay safe.